Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the AI for All podcast. I'm Ryan Chacon. Our co-host, Neil Sahota is not with us today. He may jump in later, but as always, is our producer, Nikolai. Hello. Today's topics are very exciting. We've been planning this, this episode for quite a while, and we're excited to have a discussion around these topics. We're going to be talking about ethics in AI, deep fakes, bias, global governance of AI. And to discuss this, we have Claire Stark. Claire Stark is a UN coordination officer in the Priority Africa and External Relations Sector, UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. Claire, thanks for being here this week. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for inviting me. Tell us a little bit more about what, what you all do um, or what you do for the UN and kind of the organization, the part that you're with and kind of kind of all the good stuff there. Sure. So I'm the UN coordinator focusing on emerging technologies. And uh, what we are working on right now is you may have heard UNESCO had their first global standard on the ethics of AI. It was an ethics of AI recommendation. Uh, it was adopted in November 2021 by 193 uh, member states. Um, so this was basically the first global standard that we had on ethics. So it covers a number of principles around data privacy, the importance of fairness and discrimination, issues around ensuring that AI is sustainable, um, and the importance of having human oversight and determination in AI. And so it looks at AI through the whole life cycle. So this uh, was uh, developed with a number of experts um, from our bioethics committee. And we are currently now working on implementing this recommendation. Um, so we're implementing it with 50 countries around the world. Um, and we've developed um, two tools to support the implementation. Um, because we now want to translate this recommendation into national legislation and policy. Um, so we've developed we've developed a diagnostic tool, which is an AI readiness methodology, which looks at kind of where countries are in terms of AI. Uh, what are the capacities that they have? This is looking at infrastructure. Do they already have AI strategies in place? We found, for example, that only 67 countries um, currently have any kind of national legislation or AI policy. This was one of the reviews that we undertook. Um, so we're supporting countries in developing that assessment. And then we've also developed an ethical impact assessment methodology. Um, so that's basically for AI procurement, um, looking at issues around um, why why you're developing the AI, has the provider um, that you're working with responded to certain questions um, in the ethical impact assessment. Even, you know, you may have seen the European Union's AI Regulation Act. They also mentioned for high-risk AI technologies uh, undergoing an assessment. So these risks assessments are, are becoming more pervasive. Fantastic. And I actually would like if you could talk a little bit more about that, that recommendation and kind of you, you high leveled it for us. You gave us kind of some areas of what, what it covers from a topic standpoint or maybe what it touches on. But to somebody who is coming into the space, maybe following along that there are a lot of conversations around policy, around regulations in AI. What is what are some of the, the I guess, the specifics that are worth mentioning about this recommendation that kind of every everyday people should understand and, and take away from knowing this is even going on? While there are a number of ethical principles out there, I mean, the point about having the recommendation is really to have some comprehensive ethical AI principles 
that could be adopted around the world. So this is why we have these 193 countries that have that actually signed up. And it has actually what's interesting about the recommendation is that it has a monitoring mechanism within it. Um, so this this is kind of what we're starting to do right now. So we're looking at countries sort of baseline and we're looking at issues. You know, as I said, does the country have, for example, a data privacy? We've known that a number of countries are developing their own um, uh, data protection. You've heard about the GPDR, of course. So a number of countries are starting to realize that they need to have data protection laws in place. So this is kind of the one of the first things we look at. Um, is there data protection laws in place? Um, and we've seen that countries are coming from di very different baselines. Um, of course, countries from the West tend to be much more advanced, um, but we're doing this a lot in countries in Latin America and in Africa. Um, where we're seeing that the baseline is quite different. Um, sometimes even there's some issues in kind of answering some of the question. And we're also trying to identify where, where are they looking at actual AI strategies? So is this part of their digital strategies and which ministry is actually responsible for developing the AI strategy? Because we see the pervasiveness of AI across sectors. So identifying where this is um, within the country and then trying to have kind of this pervasive sectoral approach is, is what we're kind of looking at right now. And as I mentioned, it does go through a number of principles. So, you know, we're looking at issues around um, gender equality, um, making sure that, I mean, as we've seen over and over again, I think also just with generative AI, we've seen with the example, I think was Stable Diffusion, you know, did a, a recent study um, about, you know, how um, generative AI was replicating a lot of um, gender stereotypes. I think they only gave like 3% um, of women were judges, where I think it's something like 35%. I'm just um, trying to think of these figures off of the cuff. Um, but we can see sort of how this is replicating um, sort of gender and racial bias. Through, through these images. So this is something that the, that the recommendation really aims to, to address. For, for people that may not understand all the reasons and value of why this is so important, if, if someone was to ask you, what is the importance of ethics in artificial intelligence and having standards and regulation around it? How would you answer that question? Well, I think ethics is really important because it affects our lives. So, I mean, we've seen a number of cases where, you know, we're using artificial, artificial intelligence for hiring purposes. Um, we're using AI to, you know, uh, decide um, which, which people may be guilty, which people may be perpetrators. And so if you're being misidentified, um, this can have serious repercussions for your life, for your livelihoods. Um, but also, I think we're seeing that the issue um, is also around, you know, I think Goldman Sachs said something like 300 jobs may be at stake. Um, so how is this going to affect our jobs? How does this affect how we are learning about artificial intelligence? And as jobs become automated, you know, those are low-skilled workers that are going to be out of, and they're already out of the jobs. So what are our reskilling and upskilling programs for these type of people. And I think also we should take into account that 
we have almost 3 billion people that don't have access to the internet around the world. So these people, their data isn't part of the, the ecosystem. So it's a very Western-centered approach and worldview. And I think we need to have a diversity of worldviews. And that's why we talk about the importance of ethics in artificial intelligence. How have you seen the conversations with Western uh, organizations and individuals compared to others around the world? I know you mentioned you're working in Latin America and Africa. How have those opinions and views on ethics differ um, from, from those conversations that you've had exposure to? We've just recently begun the conversations in Africa and in Latin America. We're working with the uh, Latin America Development Bank, the CAF, um, who's supporting our work and particularly with Costa Rica and developing their national AI strategy. Um, so it's, we're still a bit in the initial stages, so it's still kind of hard to see, you know, what are the differences um, and the differences in approaches. Um, but I mean, you could already see in terms of languages, for example, if you think about the indigenous languages that you have, for example, in Latin America, you know, are these you know, people being adequately reflected um, in the data, you know, how are they benefiting or not benefiting? Um, so I think these are kind of some of the issues that we're, we're still kind of trying to assess and, and to grapple with. We'll be having a, a, a conference in Slovenia in 2024, a global AI ethics um, conference. So there we will be providing all of the information from the countries that we're currently working to uh, implement the AI readiness assessment methodology. When companies are out there looking to adopt AI solutions and tools to affect, to do different things, whether it's hiring, performance reviews, other types of just, just general jobs um, and tasks, who do you, who's responsible for ensuring that they're being held to ethical standards? Is that the organization adopting the tool? Is it the organization creating the AI tool and, and solution technology? Who's, where does the uh, kind of responsibility fall for those to ensure that the practices that are being utilized with these tools or the tools themselves are following these ethical um, kind of guidelines and standards that are being set? I think this issue with, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, private companies and voluntary um, application of ethical AI principles. Um, and of course, there are different approaches around the world. Um, but really, governments are responsible for their citizens and ensuring that, you know, private companies do adhere. I mean, there's been this call, as you may have seen from the Secretary General, about having some sort of global AI body, UN sort of watchdog. And so different ideas are, are being discussed about what this would look like. So would it be similar to the IAEA, you know, which is about sort of regulating nuclear energy? Could we create something similar to a global body to regulate AI? Um, you know, this is, still, this is still being discussed and there's different proposals on the table. This is one of the issues in which UNESCO is, is looking at and, and we're supporting the work of the Secretary General's tech envoy on that. And I think why it's important that private companies are, and there are a number of private companies, we had some discussions with, with Mercedes, um, Mercedes-Benz that's looking at, um, you know, developing AI, you know, 
applying ethical AI in their practices, and they've developed a whole kind of um, uh, process for doing that. Um, it's still, you know, if you leave it to private companies, they have different ideas about how to how to do that. So we really think it's in the government. Uh, it's the government's responsibility to ensure that it's adequately regulated. How do you feel about government's ability to keep up with tech innovation? Because AI is obviously a big area that's moving very quickly and fast. And oftentimes in the past with technology, government lags behind the innovations, the speed at which the innovation in a certain new, in, newly introduced technology happens. How has how's that kind of been handled in AI, especially just over the last, you know, less than 12 months or so just have we've seen an explosion for in generative ai and a lot of other kind of tools and topics out there um how have you seen the government's ability to keep up with the changes or or how do you foresee that being something that can be handled as this industry continues to rapidly evolve yeah i think this is a really interesting um point here because we've seen this raised a number of times that governments aren't able to keep up with the rapid pace of technology. I mean, now we're seeing, for example, neurotechnology going to the market, and which is not well regulated, right? So especially as neurotech products go to the market, um, and this could potentially be your brain data, um, you know, th these are some of the issues that I think we're grappling with and the need for really anticipatory governance and sort of what does that look like? And that means sort of changing the current modus operandi of traditional government models. And I think also making sure that, you know, as we've seen with some Altman and others, you know, there needs to be more connection between technologists explaining to government what the technology is about. Um, and, and so there needs to be kind of more learning on that. And I think there has been a, an uptake in um, in government, you know, and and we've actually developed a policy a policy tool which looks at sort of the competency for public servants on AI, but this needs to become more generalized. Um, I think around the world, uh, so people can become more AI literate um, and understand some of the issues. But I think as we've seen, for example, with the EU Regulations Act, you know, they were able to, I mean, they hadn't included generative AI originally in the act, right? So then they had to revise it and include generative AI. So it has to be adaptive. Any kind of governance model has to be adaptive. 100%. Yeah. Generative AI is a really interesting topic because we've, we've talked a lot about it on past episodes of just the different elements that people need to be concerned about when it comes to it. Are there any ethical issues that are specific to generative AI that you you all have been kind of focused on or you've seen come up or that you feel like really need to be addressed or thought through? I think, yeah, there's a couple of a couple of issues. Um, I mean, of course, we, we've seen issues around hallucinations. I think they've just recently put a disclaimer, um, you know, that you know, you should be careful about getting kind of the information. I think Yala Kuhn recently gave a, a a talk about some of the, you know, how generative AI should be used and for what it should be used and for what it should not be used. And even the children under 13 should not be using, you know, generative AI without supervision. Um, but some of the issues that we're looking at at UNESCO is also um, use of generative AI in education. 
course, this was a big issue. Are people using it to cheat on exams, to write their exams? And then, you know, other people have been writing applications to determine if you used ChatGPT to write your exams. So how can, I mean, I think this technology is here to stay. So we need to identify, you know, how we can use technology, um, you know, for higher, higher level learning. Um, and in what context can we use generative AI to help us develop curricula, but curricula which is based on material that has been appropriately reviewed? It's really interesting just to, you know, over the last like eight months or so, just to watch the the growth and conversations that have come up around generative AI and all the things, like you said, hallucinations, the bias, the just 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 all the different elements that play into this that are influencing the outcome of interacting with these tools that people are using these for their jobs they're using this for educational purposes they're using it for so many different reasons which i think it i think at the on the surface is a great thing that it's a very versatile tool and people are learning this technology and trying to understand it but there are a lot of pieces that i don't think everyone is completely um aware of of the the the, especially the hallucinations part the, the the bias that a lot of these tools can have i'd be curious to hear your thoughts on how you kind of kind of feel like you can address that is that i mean it just seems like a, a, a challenge to be able to completely eliminate it what has been talks around kind of how that is evaluated yeah i, I think this is an interesting question because um you know we recently did this study where we looked at how many we reviewed about 450 schools and universities on whether they had kind of any generative ai policy um, and we found that really less than 10% had any kind of generative AI policy. So I think, I mean, one of the things that we are proposing also is that, for example, with our ethical impact assessment, that you need to kind of have a review ex ante and, and ex post, right? So before you launch any kind of sort of similar large language model, and then kind of having the research also about what what are the repercussions so during the life cycle of of the model and then after you know so i think this is because you know we're, we're launching some of these things without kind of fully understanding what some of the impacts and i think also you know more transparency you know we need to understand how the models make their decisions and this needs to be available more rid of i mean some is on open source platforms um, but this needs to be, and especially as we see coming elections, you know, 2024, I mean, we will be having difficulty differentiating between what is real and what is fake. That brings up a great point of like deep fakes and, and just generally understanding what deep fakes are, the implications on democracy, how they're going to influence things, because they're becoming incredibly sophisticated with so much going on in the world with in the U.S., huge election coming up next year. They're going to play a pretty big role in in things, just like social media has over the years, especially last election. Um, a lot of stuff has been learned after the fact. But when it comes to deep fakes itself, what can be done about that, if anything? Like, how can you regulate? How can you set up any type of guidelines to help eliminate or avoid that? Which, again because of a lot of stuff that I learned last election regarding social media's influence and what companies were doing for, with access to data and fact-checking data and all this stuff, there's been a lot of work to try to regulate and make sure that doesn't get out of hand. 
when it comes to deep fakes, this is like a whole nother level because of what is possible. From your perspective, how do you stop that? How does how does this, you know, because this is definitely can have a huge impact on on the world, democracy and so forth. I mean, as we've seen, too, you know, there was this push for, you know, content moderation. But now we've seen a lot of people have been laid off, you know, on some of the social media platforms. So you're not having, you know, the content moderators that you had before. And you're seeing, you know, um, you know, those that have um, promulgated, you know, anti-vax, you know, being allowed back on some of these social media platforms, for example. Um, so I think that's why, again, I think we have to have, I think that, you know, really the, the government sort of has to step in. You know, UNESCO developed these. We had this um, Internet Trust Conference recently, and this is also a big um, uh, a priority also of the, of the Secretary General who's looking at a, a code of conduct. So looking at ensuring integrity of Internet platforms, um, because this very much goes to this whole issue of ensuring um, you know, um, access to information, especially during election times. And I think we're seeing that there, there can be an increasing amount of violence. I mean, there's, you know, obviously there's issues about watermarking, um, the need to watermark all of these images to identify, you know, what is, what has been generated through AI. But then, you know, these fact checkers having content moderation, um, and ensuring that, you know, these social media platforms are held accountable. So does that mean having some kind of perhaps global regulatory body to monitor these um, internet platforms? Sure. I think anytime you bring in like these fact checkers and moderators and stuff, you're, you're, you're dealing with humans and you're dealing with potentially levels of bias that are oftentimes not even realized Um on how they do their job. So I think there's a challenge there. But I also wonder if thinking like globally, it's a little bit different, but just thinking like in the US itself, if the government was in charge of trying to regulate these and 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 decide who can do post what, who has access to these channels and so forth, I feel like it would be very difficult to convince the public that the, the government has the our best interest at heart without any bias or agenda being being into it because they know this is a tool. This is a tool that can be used for their benefit. If And if they're the ones dictating how it is used, I feel like there would be a lot of criticism and a lot of skepticism that this is something that is being done fairly um, and adhering to like free speech laws. So I'm very interested to see kind of how this evolves. I just I just have don't have that much faith in the government not finding a way to use this for their benefit, whichever group's in power at any given time. Well, yeah, I think that's, um, yeah, that's really a risk. I mean, you know, we talk about the importance of, you know, media literacy and being able to critically analyze the news that you're seeing, but that's becoming more and more difficult. So, you know, this, I think this is an issue that a lot of, a lot of people are grappling with right now. Um, and I don't think there are any easy answers. The more technology out there, the more people are going to figure out ways to use it for positive and negative ways. And I think it's it's always going to be tough to continue to fight that battle of how do we stop the bad stuff from happening? No, I think that's true. This um, dual dual use of technology, I think we've been grappling that that for decades. I think we always will. I feel like we always will because it's just human nature. Yeah, that's why I think it's interesting also this discussion about, you know, whether everything should be sort of open source. Because, of course, when you have it open source and people can use it for whatever kind of purpose they wish. Um, so kind of how to, because of the pervasiveness 
also, which is different, you know, when we were talking about the, you know, what could be a possible AI body. I mean, for example, with nuclear energy, you know, not everybody has the capacity to, you know, create nuclear energy. Whereas AI, it's much easier for people to use and to manipulate it. Um, so it's, you know, and so it's a different, has a different character. But then I think also as we're, we're seeing advances with, you know, with quantum computing or areas, you know, and um, I was reading about these xenobots, um, you know, which are new life forms and that you're able to manipulate these life forms. Robots that are alive, that don't currently exist in nature. But you can see sort of the amplitude, I think, that, that some of these converging technologies can, can take and kind of the, the importance of really grappling some of these issues very quickly. Yeah, it's like when we have the conversation around like general AI and just like what that could potentially become and, and where where things are headed. A lot of excitement around potential, but also there's a whole other side to it that I think we need to be paying as equal attention to is, is what are the drawbacks and the downside for, for humanity and what this could or could not do um, if we just unleash it. Where do you kind of see AI within the larger like emerging technologies ecosystem? How do you see it continuing to influence things and grow just looking forward um, from here? Where, where, what is, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, AI has just allowed us some, you know, incredible leaps in terms of, you know, research and development with the protein folding and developing new proteins that don't exist in nature or being able to contain nuclear fusion. Um, you know, which could have huge implications for renewable energy and for dealing with our climate change crisis. You know, it does have a um, a role to play in helping us to achieve the sustainable development goals. Um, but I think in terms of, and we're seeing, of course, AI and its use when we're looking at neurotechnology, but then that even goes to kind of another scale. And as we become, you know, we have more computing power we can see that the AI will become more powerful. So I think this is also sort of the existential question. You know, I think these are questions that are still being discussed. But I think as we're seeing this merger between biotechnology and artificial intelligence, we could see maybe in the future that this sort of possibility. How do you think about the fact that ethics across the world obviously varies and there's definitely contradictions across the world? So how... Do you, if you're trying to create an ethical standard for AI, how do you navigate that? How do you think about that? Well, when we're doing, for example, our readiness assessment methodology, we, we work with national experts in the country. Um, I mean, we do have this um, experts beyond borders or without borders. So we do have this network of, of experts that we utilize when we're doing that. But we also work with experts in the countries, because I think that's important to realize that there may be different cultural contexts and approaches. But of course, we also take, you know, our ethical stance is very much based on human rights. So, you know, we use the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and that is kind of our guiding compass, right? So when we're talking about gender equality or ensuring fairness in AI systems, you know, this is kind of our our, our baseline, if you will, everything is is derived basically from the Convention on Human Rights, but while taking into consideration that we do need to apply it, you know, in different 
in different contexts in different countries. What are you focused most on uh, from your in your from your perspective over the next like six to eight months? What should people really be paying attention to in the AI space? Like, are there any any areas that you feel like deserve more attention or topics that deserve more attention from just the general public? They should be really paying attention to, thinking about, considering, um, kind of as we get through this year into next year. Like, what what should what were you most looking forward to kind of being involved in, seeing happen, you name it? I mean, personally, I'm, I'm very much engaged in looking at sort of different possible governance models and also maybe how governance can be more anticipatory um, so that it can catch up with technology and kind of offer... Um, we will be developing kind of a model governance framework that will be unveiled at this conference in Slovenia in 2024. So I think that could be a really important model that could be used and adapted by countries around the world. So that's kind of our our goal. Very fascinating conversation, Claire. Thank you so much for for being on. Um, if our audience wants to learn more about kind of just the organization itself and, and the areas that you're working in, is, is there a way to do that? Or what's the best way to kind of follow up on that? Sure. Well, I mean, they could contact me or... Um, you know, contact our organization, UNESCO.org. We're working on quite a uh, different ranges of, of artificial intelligence from, you know, looking at generative AIs using education systems to, as I mentioned, the ethical implications of, of AI. We're working with judges on using AI in the judicial systems. So, um, yeah, they could contact me or I don't know if I should give my... We'll have your LinkedIn and things like that, but yeah, we'll... uh let people reach out that way. Well, Claire, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I know it's your evening over there, but I really appreciate you coming on. This is a great topic. A lot of education is needed around this topic. So you've done a fantastic job kind of talking about these topics. So really appreciate it and excited to get this out to our audience. Thank you. Thank you for having me.